how now brown cow how now brown cow the human torch was denied a bank loan the human torch was denied a bank loan at no point in your rambling incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought i'm doing everything i can stop calling me shirley the center has to be at least three times bigger than this All right, it's another edition of Sincerely Unqualified. I'm Kevin, that's Winnie. Today, we're going to be doing Anchorman, the first installment of what many people call the Common Man Trilogy. Or is it the, the Common Man Trilogy, Winnie, or? Uh, I think it's the common, uh, so I think it's the average, mediocre American man trilogy. The right. mediocre American man trilogy. So, yeah, I mean, if you think about the three movies that are in this, which, by the way, this is the first one, the first installment mm-hmm. of that trilogy. And then what we have after is Talladega Nights. And mm-hmm. then we go back with the sequel to this movie, which we'll probably touch on a little during. But there is a reason that we are solely <laughs> focusing on the, uh, the, the first one. So we have Anchorman 1. Talladega Nights, Anchorman 2. That's the trilogy. So what we're going to do for you guys is we're going to make our next episode Talladega Nights because we think it's a better movie. We think there's a lot to talk about comparing it to Anchorman 2. And then we're going to start doing something on our YouTube. We want to start diversifying our content a little. So what we're going to do is Sometime this week, we're going to release a short video just to, so we can get our takes out on Anchorman 2, what we liked, what we didn't like, where we think it did well, where we think it didn't. So be on the lookout for that. We'll have announcements going out. But next week will be Talladega Nights, and we are going to start putting, and you can see it in the description here, there's a Google Forms that you can fill out, rate Talladega Nights from 1 to 100, and we're going to give you a little, you know, we got a little section so you can give your take. Yeah, I'm excited to every, hear everybody's feedback on everything. I mean, we're very excited for Talladega Nights. Hope you are too. It's part of the mediocre uh, man trilogy. The mediocre so, American man trilogy. American so what man I was going to say is that yeah, that's, the, that's important because Ron yeah. Burgundy and Ricky Bobby, two of the most American characters ever. And incredibly mediocre in their own right. Mediocre, you but also actually, great. That's a bit of, yeah. Like they're great in their own <laughs> respects because they're great. You know, one's a great NASCAR driver. The other's a great newscaster. Top of their field. Say. Or just great at reading, I guess, you know. Reading. Which we'll get into a little bit. Yeah, he okay. reads the teleprompter. Okay. He's an incredible reader. Well, yeah, Rod Burgundy is. No doubt he about is, that. He has a, a great collection of leather-bound books. Yeah, but we're trying to we're trying to increase some some engagement. We want people to be talking to us, so definitely fill out that Google Forms. Be on the lookout for our new video, and also if you have any feedback, if you want to let us know, we're always open in our DMs. If you guys have social media, also we have a email. It's just sincerelyunqualified at gmail.com. If you want to mm-hmm. just send out any takes. Tell us movies you want us to do. Tell us movies that we haven't done yet. Also, just general feedback, how you like the podcast, what you like about it, what you don't like about it. 
also uh, tell your friends okay. subscribe rate us on rate us on apple podcasts all that good stuff we we love hearing from you guys so mm-hmm. let us up. know if we miss anything if we miss a take if we miss anything that you know about the movies we'd love to know i mean this is yeah. why we started a podcast we want to know more about these movies we are interested in telling you information about these movies but it's not like we know everything like we you right. know, there's a lot of things that we don't know about so we're yeah. constantly wanting to hear from everybody too. It's, you know, it's fun. It's really fun for us. So let us know. We get a kick out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. So before we get into the episode though, we do want to tell you guys again, we've been talking about them. WorkedSneakers.com. That's worked mm-hmm. past tense with an ED. Sneakers.com. Great people over there. You know, you're not going to find any Ron Burgundy suits. They're not going to go suit shopping that ends up in a huge newsman brawl. Not going to happen. You're going to do it from the safety of your home. You're going to go to worksneakers.com. You're not going to get some old suit, even though, I don't know, maybe those are going to come back in style at some point because that's just what we do. Hopefully not the early 2000 suits because those are a little bit absurd, you know, the baggy suits. But, you know, (laughs) this is Shaquille O'Neal, like the the oversized one, Jason Kidd rocking like a... I don't know how you even get sized for that kind of thing. Do you just go in and expand it by seven inches? I don't yeah. know. Yep. But you go in, they, they measure it. You add four to seven inches. I don't understand that. I, I mean, <laughs> just doesn't make sense to me. They're shopping at, you know, XXL plus for each suits, even when you're five foot seven. It makes no sense. If, if you're below average height, you go to big and tall. Big and tall. Exactly. XL. But I mean, in the spirit of avoiding newscaster fights on your way to buy suits, avoiding sketchy meetups for a lot of the new stuff that comes out, everything, go to worksneakers.com. They'll treat you right. They got everything you could possibly want. W-O-R-K-E-D-S-N-E-A-K-E-R-S.com. Check them out on social. Check their website out and uh, you'll get some good stuff. Get the good stuff. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. By the way, you mentioned the early 2000s. Look, this is the only thing on the intro I want to say, just that's off topic, mm-hmm. not pod related. On Friday night, we didn't really know what to do, the fitness instructor. And I, for, for new listeners, I call my fiance the fitness instructor. That just, if, I, if she's not working out, I don't work out. So that's why I call her the fitness instructor. But we were watching some good throwbacks. And I like, mm-hmm. well, actually, you can see it wearing a Motion City Soundtrack t shirt. Shout out Motion City Soundtrack. But we're, we're listening to some old music. I like, you know, the pop punk ska kind of stuff. And I decided, so you know how people are coming back with these like 90s looks, you know, the TikTok kids have perms and stuff like that. Really weird. Yeah. I'm going to try to get out ahead of it. So, okay. Since we're in the 90s look right now, uh-huh. I think in about five years or so, we're going to be having the good Charlotte come back. So I think I'm gonna dye my hair blonde and spike uh-huh. it up. I wanted to. I wanted to get your take live. I, I think that, to see your that's reaction. a good call. I want you to go full on Goku. I think that that's gonna be a yeah. good look for your ass. Yeah, just I go think full I'm gonna need Super to get Saiyan, some... full blonde. Well, you know, not not too much. It has to be short and yeah. spiky. But I also I need those you know black T-shirts, the the button mm-hmm. downs, the short sleeve button downs, just plain black. And then I don't know. Maybe I'll wear some eyeliner. Might. I was going to say, you need some guy liner. Like, that'd be perfect. Under the eye, just a little bit grungy, a little bit too much. You're going to come out hot because those, I, I mean, so. once that style comes back, because every, well, I mean, history repeats itself. It's yeah. going to come back. It's coming it's back at some point. 
the angst is building up within modern teens to the point where it's going to reload and just come back. Yeah, and I these people we- are going to have to know. I mean, there's they there are good pop punk bands still making music. So mm-hmm. let's capitalize on that. Let's yeah. let me get out. You can too. I would I would love for you and ev- everyone listening. I think let's get think ahead I'm of good. it. Come on. I think this you is a, a you venture. I think this is I'm going to stay in my style, which is more just like not anything special i'm gonna yeah. stay, that's, I'm that's gonna actually stay. that's a great way to describe our styles it's just like i don't well yeah. i mean look <laughs> mine is just wearing anything with a grateful dead logo because i think the majority of my t-shirts and everything have a dead logo so essentially sick. that's just my style no i'm not one of these buy it Bro, from, name five know, songs. New stores name five songs what do you want me to name whole albums i'll go off if you want i we're know. not I not know. a podcast about that kevin but we could though. I think big big dead guys. We could. You know, we could be oh, the there are bigger dead guys than me, that's for sure. But absolutely. I think that if if you choose to do this, I fully back you and I'm on your side. Thank you. I am. I'm Thank fully you. behind it. I'll pay for the haircut. I will. That, well, that means a lot. So yeah. should I stick to like great clips? Should I go for the twenty dollars or can I get the the full experience? Can I go? No. Get I'll give you massage. the full experience. I know they have Ooh. some good salons out there in LA that some of the actors frequent. So I'll get you an appointment at one of those and we can I'll get go, it. I'll go to the guy that did hair and makeup for Matt Damon in Eurotrip when they sing Scotty Doesn't Know. When <laughs> <laughs> Even though he's just going to shave my head. But, you know, it, it's, yeah. that's one version of it. I'm going to America's Next Top Model your ass and just pay for it all. There so we go. So you're good to go. I'm with yeah, it. Yeah, man. All right. So let's get into Anchorman now. Yeah. Anchorman, the first Judd Apatow produced Adam McKay, Will Ferrell movie. Will Ferrell mm-hmm. and Adam McKay are the writers. So it is very, very SNL inspired, I would say. Is that fair? I think that's really fair, especially because this is their first film together, all of them. And I think this is the first film Adam McKay actually came out and just directed. Mm-hmm. It, it was so, his first directed movie yeah that that's yeah true. so they're just drawing a ton on the all of their ns our snl background and you can see that in a little bit of the cast too of just you know roping in everybody from that snl experience and getting their their all their experience together to you know put this movie on which i definitely liked it was the start of an era i'd say oh yeah yeah this was very early on in what i mean i i basically just think of as the judd apatow period so Again, if you're new listening to us, you can look back on our catalog. We've done a lot of Judd Apatow movies already. And that's because pretty much we we started with our favorite comedies. And when you are our age, you're growing up in that era where it was, you know, five years past the, the biggest releases of comedy movies, which were pretty much Judd Apatow produced movies. There's a specific type of movie yeah. that we just love. We love them. It's, yeah. We grew up in the heat of these coming out. Like I remember being 11 or 12 years old and going to see literally Talladega Nights in theaters. Mm-hmm. I was probably like 13 actually. But going to see these movies in theaters, even like the kicking and screamings and all that, it's just these are being thrown in your face as you're growing up. And you, you kind of just grow up with this style of humor being so around you and we just yeah. love it. Yeah, well, so this one's a little early. So this one was released in 2004. Yeah. So for me, I was seven. You might have been eight. So this one is when I said, like, you know, five years down the line, you get this first yeah. one. And this, for me, it was one of the first ones I remember. And I was I might have said this on this podcast already about another movie. 
But this yeah. one really, I can remember going to my neighbor's house and this was the first comedy movie, like the first true comedy that I was like, I like this. Uh, there's something about this I like, you know? Yeah. So I was really excited to rewatch it because this actually isn't one that I rewatched too much because I think I think I over rewatched it early on. Yeah. So this is my first time watching it in a pretty long time. Have is this one in terms of your rewatching? Like how are you? With I'd that? say the same for me because you're so you know you see so much of this on social media because it's such a quotable movie. So you're you're kind of you know overwhelmed with the quotes from it and the the gifs and everything on social media that you almost feel like you don't need to rewatch it because yeah. you're getting the gist and it, it yep. makes it feel like you've seen it much more recently than you have. Yeah. So rewatching it now, I probably haven't watched it in six or seven years, but rewatching it now, it was so good. You forget really how good it is because of the oversaturation on social media. Yeah. Like I the think... boy that escalated quickly kind of stuff. Like when you see that all the well, time, that it escalated takes quickly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's us. And so if you go back and listen to our top 10 episode, our first one that we release, that's what we were saying about Step Brothers. And we yeah. didn't put Step Brothers in our top 10s. And that's because of this, like exactly what we were talking about, the product of the time. When Step Brothers was released, it's when every single one of our friends wanted to quote Step Brothers and quote it oh, and yeah. quote it and quote it to the point where we can't really watch it anymore. Exactly. This one... What I think is interesting with the rewatch is because you're right. It doesn't feel like you need to really rewatch it because this there's all this content, all, all these memes, everything. Yeah. But there are so many good scenes and so many good bits in this that the internet can't get it all. You can't oh, get yeah. every single one. So when you rewatch it, it's like, oh, okay, I remember yeah. that now. That, that, was, that was super funny because that's, that's the thing. There are all these small things thrown in there. They're just like the... Um, there's the, it can't really be memed now. No, now everything's so a meme. much stuff. Yeah. They can't, you can't meme some of the stuff because you need the context of the scene or you need the context of the movie. And once you're watching it all the way through, it makes it so much funnier. But if you were to just see like a boy that escalated quickly version of another one of these scenes, like maybe even I love lamp or something like that, you don't get the full punch behind that without really rewatching the entire movie, which makes the rewatch mm -hmm. so much better because you're like, oh my God, I forgot that this was even a scene in this movie. Or you forget the order, you forget everything of how it kind of comes and plays together. Yeah, yeah. And I think with the rewatches and how, how we grew up watching it, it makes it easier because we know exactly what to expect. It's kind of, and I think I've made this analogy on the podcast, but it's kind of like putting on a warm blanket. Like I know exactly what I'm going to get. I know these scenes. I'm just going to kick my feet up, watch this. Yeah. And something I think I was a little surprised about. And the only, I guess, bit of criticism, which to me is not, it's not criticism when it comes from me, because this is my style of humor. It's my style of movie enjoyment, but I can see people criticizing it for being it's very bit heavy and we said yeah. that about hot rod but to me hot rod is more you you expect that of hot rod there's there was no question ever that hot rod was just going to be a series of bits yeah and it's kind of filmed that way it's kind of produced and packaged that way to me but anchorman feels like more of it with the way it's shot the way it is produced to the people 
it's supposed to be a really cohesive story and it's supposed to be a fantastic story, which I think it is. But I think people could look at it and be like, this is just kind of a series of bits. Like I, to me, I think it's, it looks like a really, really well-developed sketch that, yeah. you know, someone developed the character of Rod Burgundy. And it seems like they could have released each scene as a series of sketches, if that makes sense, which no, it definitely does. Yeah. Like obviously every movie is a collection of scenes and they follow yeah. a story. So that's what exactly what I'm saying, but I think it could be, and this is what we were saying with the SNL. It could be a little too sketch comedy. It could be a little too improv for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe for critics is the kind of the way I'm thinking. So that I agree with you on that. And I think that it's important to note that these are also a ton of SNL cast members coming together. And this is really the first time they've worked together on a movie. Mm-hmm. And similar to that, that's basically what Hot Rod was too. So it's really the SNL cast members of their time kind of going into the movie sphere and experimenting with how they can do it. And I think that they're more bit heavy because that's kind of how they, they were taught to write and think before. So right. that these, yeah. these bits are centric. And I think it's cool to see that similarity of like the earlier cast or the earlier members like the Will Ferrells and everybody, they're thinking the same way that then the Andy Sandbergs and the Bill Haters are thinking kind of down the line, which is an awesome yeah. connection because they're all like they're all part of an elite group, the SNL alumni community. Oh yeah. Who are yeah. Doing. I mean it's the, the best minds in comedy. Exactly. Yeah. You and have- that's that's what I love seeing out of this is because this, to me, at least, and I, I might get blowback for saying this because I, I'm not thinking far back right now, but in mm-hmm. terms of our childhood, this is the first successful SNL, leaving SNL and then, but the SNL crew making a movie. Yeah. It's the first successful movie, the, the feature length movie. And I think it holds a lot of elements to that. And I think that's why a lot of people love it. Yeah. Because we like silly movies. That's exactly that, that. That is another thing I forgot is because I think I look back with these rose colored glasses and be like, what a fantastic movie. But mm. you forget how silly it is. Like a lot of it is just supposed to be silly. It's supposed to be a, you know, let's let's just laugh. Let's yeah. have a good time. And that's how it was written, too, which is awesome. I mean, you have to have those movies that are not taking themselves too seriously. And they're made for the purpose of here's silly comedy enjoy it if you want if you're a stickler mm-hmm. and don't want it don't you know you don't have to watch it it's not for you it's not right. like they're vying for oscar nominations here they're making it because they enjoy making it and it's a funny movie for the people who like this style of comedy yeah now, what i will say to your point though mm-hmm. about the successful snl movies yeah is that we grew up during this point so like we didn't grow up knowing because I know that this might come up like the Farleys and everybody. We didn't grow up yeah. with the Tommy boys. We didn't grow up with that. Well, we I mean, before our time. So, I, yeah, I mean, I did. I still, grew up with Tommy. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. so did I. But like I didn't grow up going to theaters to see them. Like right. I was yeah. kind of grandfathered yeah, yeah. into watching those more. Yeah. You know, so like we, this was our exactly. So that those were the successful SNL movies at the at their time. So we're saying more like centric to when we were going to theaters rather than like, oh, yeah, Anchorman's the first one to do it successfully. Like, no, we're fully aware that there's amazing movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, cast yeah, yeah. members did. Thanks, thanks for backing me up there. I hope people, yeah, no, I, yeah. <laughs> people, like, people might have turned it off before that, though. They heard my ranting and no, they're just like, nah, yeah. this guy's an idiot. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is the first SNL movie. Like, no, no, no. We know the history here. Okay. We know who Chevy Chase, yeah. Chevy Chase is. Okay. We're yeah. very aware of everyone. 
Yeah. And well, that's <laughs> this type of movie is the McKay Farrell stamp. Like it's mm-hmm. it's very improv heavy, which makes it feel like a sketch based like sketch based scenes. So what makes mm-hmm. it feel like more of an SNL style because that's how they write it. So McKay loves right and that's that's how we got this cast together because he writes scenes specifically so they're improvised and will ferrell i mean doesn't get any better than that so when you have your writing partner two writing partners that are specifically trying to make it improv heavy it's going to turn out like this and we love it yeah a lot of people love it i think that's perfectly shown my me and my shout out my dad. He said he hasn't gotten a shout out on the podcast in a while. So <laughs> something we love doing is looking at Rotten Tomatoes because mm-hmm. a lot of the time the movies that we love and the movies that most people love, yeah. shitty rating or a shitty uh, critic score, but good audience. Audience score. heavy. Yep. This so, was an eighty six audience. Yep, and sixty seven awesome. critic. So yeah, that's how you know you have a pretty good kick your feet up let's just let's enjoy this i yeah. mean yeah so i see 200 203 critics 67 percent. that's honestly pretty respectable for rotten tomatoes for comedies mm-hmm. and then 794,609 people <laughs> at the time of this uh yeah. this is recording 86 percent. so you know people love it we love the content we love this silly type of filming and it's what mm-hmm. makes it great. That's what makes these movies great. And that's why we're doing Talladega Nights next week. Oh, yeah. And then so the cast itself, too, is made for improv. Like when we look yes. at it deeper, people who are slept on. I mean, everybody's watched The Office to this point. They know how great Steve Carell can be. A lot this of office really his, this. He really like wowed them. We'll talk about it in a little bit. He kind of stole the show with his role and he he took it to the next level and he had to do so to get this part. Well, but then you also, have on top of that. Well, you said Steve Carell. Let's remind people of when we were talking about 40-Year-Old Virgin. The reason that 40-Year-Old Virgin got made is because Steve Carell was so funny in this. Judd yeah. was like, hey, do you have anything like that you're thinking of? And Steve Carell was like, oh, I actually have this sketch that I never really came to fruition. And that's came 40-Year-Old Virgin. But sorry for cutting you off. No, you're good. That Your I next mean- point, sir. That's a perfect lead into this because oh. from this, Steve Carell got 40-year-old version. Then we have alongside him, David Koechner, who's incredible. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Is, how do you say it? Is it Koechner? <laughs> Did you say Koechner? I thought so. I've, I haven't known how to pronounce it for Dude, years. Hey, you should have looked it up before. I'm pretty sure it's Kechner. Kechner? <laughs> I think that's how you're supposed to pronounce it. Let us know. Keep going, keep going with your David Koechner. Uh, I'm, I'm okay. going to look it up in the meantime. Yeah, it's Kechner. <laughs> David, David K. David K. David, David Kechner. K. Put some respect David, on his name. David Kechner. Okay, look, I love the guy. I love Champ the guy. Champ Bailey in the movie. Champ Bailey. Champ Bailey in the movie. <laughs> look, okay, I saw a TikTok recently where people were calling him out um, for his name in the office, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's take a step back. Like, you got to know him from Anchorman. Yeah, I understand that he's widely known from the office as well, but Todd Packer on his name, you know, then you have Paul Rudd. I'm pronouncing that correctly, right? Paul Rudd. That's no, it's rude. You're being rude by calling me out with that stuff. (laughs) It's Paul Rudd. But but, I mean, this cast is incredible with the improv skills and working off one another. Look, Seth Rogen made a little cameo as a camera guy. 
Oh, you have there this, are yeah. a lot of cameos. Yeah. I know. So we'll, we'll talk yeah, about but them. I just wanted to just throw some respect on the entire cast for their ability to just take a scene and run with it. I know we've said that about a lot of the movies we've talked about, but this is kind of the intro to improv that we see yep. in the early 2000s. It's yeah. the masterclass. And that's the thing with Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell obviously is always the lead, you know, but he surrounds himself with the best and brightest minds of comedy in terms of improv acting. So that's why, that's how you end up with Paul Rudd. That's how you end up with Steve Carell. That's how you end up with David Koechner. <laughs> You're a dick. <laughs> but no, and then um, it, with, you know, uh, next week, Talladega Nights, John C. Riley, absolutely fantastic as well. So Dr. Steve Brule. Yeah, when you're with someone, <laughs> and that's speaking of Tim and Eric, this this does, that's kind of that same yeah. feeling to it. It's that silly sketch kind of comedy, Incredible. which which we yeah. loved in the early 2000s. We love now. Oh, yeah. And I mean, the improv makes it all better. There's little things in the movie that all come together and it really formulates it into the cult classic that it's become. Now, yeah. we've mentioned with in the past, like The Hangover, when you make a sequel, when you make it a trilogy, <laughs> it takes away a little bit from it. Yeah. In this case, especially after the rewatch, I'm going to say that the second one did not take away from my opinion of the first one and how good it is. Yeah. I'm going to say that. That's now. that's a good point. That's very that it's very worth pointing out because I don't know if it does with The Hangover. We'll probably do The Hangover at some point. So just one, just one. We're not touching yeah. the, the other two. Yeah. And I think that the what's funny with The Hangover 2 is it was so much more anticipated or maybe just when we were well, the, what age we were. It was so much yeah. more anticipated that when you think of The Hang when you think of The Hangover part of me always goes to oh that it might be because yeah. they made it a trilogy actually it might be because the they trilogy. did three so it, it it just throws so much stink on it you have yeah. the hang when you talk about the hangover good movie but yeah. they ruined it well because the main thing that comes to mind for me right now is when you mention the hangover my first thought is always like why like why mm -hmm. i know i yeah. feel like i say it every episode it's like why make three well, that's that's the thing I think is if you have a trilogy, then in the last two movies are bad or the same, yeah. then two thirds of the content that you put out is negative. When you put mm -hmm. out an Anchorman two, we'll talk about yeah. this. We'll check out our video on YouTube, our our sincerely unqualified reacts to Anchorman two. We won't give too much away, but what we will say is it wasn't as bad as what they could have done. And I don't yeah. think that McKay, Farrell, and Apatow could have done anything that bad. Exactly. And that's also what we talked about last week with 21 and 22 Jump Street. Yep. 22 Jump Street was successful because they were self-aware enough to know that they were somewhat doing the same thing, but they called it right out and they were like, we're going to do it. We're doing the same thing. They broke the fourth wall and were like, who would do this with a bigger budget, blah, blah, blah. The Hangover did not do that in any sense of the word. They didn't let you know. They just were like, we're going to do this. How did we get in this situation three times? You'll find out. You know, yeah. It, was just, yeah, it was that kind of thing. In regards to Anchorman 2, we're going to start out by talking about that. 
you're going to hear my reaction to what Winnie said in the video if you go mm-hmm. to the YouTube in our description. So you want to keep it with Anchorman. Do you want any more flick takes off or should we start telling the story of how this was made? Because I think that's let's, almost let's like, yeah, it makes it fantastic just learning about yeah. what, how this got made, what happened. This movie, I think of all movies that we've done so far, learning about the story of the process of how it got made. And then obviously we're going to go into scenes, what was improv, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. This in exclusive exclusives, I think is going to be fantastic. So we're taking you through the story of Anchorman, the legend of Ron Burgundy. Of Anchorman. So act one. (laughs) Act one. Let's start with what it was supposed to be or what it started out as. Started out as a pretty different movie. <laughs> we'll say a that. A little bit different. Yeah. So it started out as this kind of crazy, what seems like to me would be a stoner comedy, like just just way out there. So it was originally supposed to be based on a movie that admittedly I don't know what it is, alive. But the general crux of it is that they were going to this anchorman. Uh, conference there all the anchor men were in there together and then on the way there their flight crashes and they end up on the side of this island and then all this craziness ensues and they end up having to fight like orangutans and stuff and just just a really out there kind of ridiculous movie <laughs> which look that probably would have fun watch but I'll tell you what, we wouldn't be talking about it nowadays. So I think that they made yeah. the, uh, I think they made the right decision. I don't know about the you. Synopsis, the synopsis that I saw was basically like <laughs> Anchorman's plane crashes and has to fight against monkey army in a cannibalistic style. Like uh, cannibalistic, that's movie. right. Yeah, yeah, cannibalistic is thrown in there. Don't really, I mean, I could see that being a thing, but even for, you know, a comedy movie, it seems very outlandish yeah that that seems like something that would be really funny in a it would keep talking about sketches i mean if will ferrell wrote that as a five minute to six minute sketch sure give me it that that sounds funny as a 90 minutes of just like that would be such a waste of and granted you weren't gonna get the actors if you made that movie but that would be a waste of the comedic talent of mckay and ferrell and i'm glad that they went the other route because well, that's what makes them such comedic talents is they took that idea and somehow got to Anchorman that we saw. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean. So, really, what happened was they, they had this first idea. Let's We're going to call that what we just said, the idea. The idea. <laughs> and yeah. the idea is just Anchorman. That, like, that's about the common denominator <laughs> between yeah. the movies. Just, just, there is, well, Ron Burgundy was also the character. But what they did was they were watching these documentaries and they really got inspired by one. So Christina Applegate's character, Veronica Corningstone, she's directly modeled after someone called Jessica Savage, which who mm-hmm. was the first female anchor woman. Uh, obviously that happens to her in this movie. And there was a documentary about her, um, it was featured this guy who he was a local news anchor called Mort Krim. And he was in this documentary and he was shown as this big chauvinist. It, and it obviously directly influenced Ron Burgundy, Will Ferrell's mm-hmm. character. Um, 
it didn't i don't think that they said it was directly him but definitely the yeah. the idea you know the chauvinism of this anchor man was was based on him so the background inspiration right right and that's the the key to them watching this and the key to them being inspired is because they were straight up laughing at the fact that these people were so obviously kind of like insecure like you need insecurity yeah. to be a chauvinist that's let's be real I, we we've come a long way in now <laughs> 70 years if this was like made in the 50 or if they I were think it was in the, the 50s, 50s right yeah probably that's when the the news anchor was they were just ripping cigs and just telling news but <laughs> yeah like yeah. just um yeah so they they were just he will ferrell himself said that he was laughing so hard that like these guys being like oh i was a little intimidated of a woman being in the office like who are you that you have to be intimidated now we celebrate it now it's it's something well it's not even celebrated now it's just commonplace right yeah like it it shouldn't go through your mind (laughs) that nothing should go through your mind but it did and they they cracked them up about just the the level of insecurity it took back in the day for someone to be like sharing the screen with a woman which again nowadays is just the most commonplace thing ever yeah and i love how they did that in the movie too they just made it when she was coming on and they made it so obvious that everyone was so freaked out yeah by her just being a part of the team Chris Parnell, especially. Yeah. <laughs> Sincerely unqualified cinematic universe. Chris we Parnell. love Chris Parnell. We love him. Fred but, yeah, I too. mean, I think they just made it. They made it. They showed the absurdity through our eyes, through the modern eyes of what those people looked like back then, being so afraid or freaked out of a woman joining the news squad. Yeah. Because it, it, we look at those characters and we're laughing our asses off because like, just like Will Ferrell, we're like, how is that even possible? How can somebody think like that? Right. And that's what something I think about is or is important about the comedy. I think people can hear all these jokes. And again, thinking about if someone would be angry about this movie or someone would be critical towards it, I think people could pass it off as these just guys writing this movie. And the humor is that they're making these woman jokes no, you're not laughing with them making woman jokes. You're laughing directly at them because exactly. that's we're, they're pointing out the absurdity, and it's it's shown in that Will Ferrell being like, "No, it, we we laughed at these people, so we decided to make the movie about it." Yeah, you're just directly calling them out for being insanely insecure and insanely just. I mean, how can you? Be, why are you the way you are? Essentially, yeah, which is great. <laughs> I and then okay. So we've gotten to the point of what it originally was mm-hmm. and where the inspiration came from for specific characters. Right. Diving a little deeper into the characters. So we have the, the formative idea of the movie. When they're coming up with all the characters, when they were writing, when Adam McKay and Will Ferrell were writing the original script, they actually had people in mind for each of these specific characters. Mm-hmm. None of which stayed the same. I'm just going to tell you that right now. No. So... The suggested actors, I'll run through them really quick for the various roles. So for Champ Kind, you want to tell us who played him in the so, actual movie? So David Cochner. Acclaimed, played acclaimed Kind. Acclaimed actor, David Kwechner. Okay, you know what? <laughs> David Champ <Kachner>. Kind. <laughs> okay. So Champ Kind was originally supposed to be 
the suggested role was John C. Riley. Whammy. It would have been great, but he was actually doing the aviator at the time, scheduling conflict, couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Rick was supposed to be played by our guy, Chris Parnell, who, who actually stayed who in had the movie. a different role in the movie. Exactly. Brian Fantana was supposed to be Ben Stiller, who played another role in the movie. Cameo, basically, yeah. Ed Harkin was supposed to be Ed Harris. Not so, when I say supposed to be, I I mean in, initially suggested. These, yeah, so, these were the suggested characters when McKay and Farrell wrote the first script. Exactly. So this is who they had in mind essentially when they were writing. Ed Harkin, they had in mind Ed Harris, Garth Holiday, who was played by our guy Chris Parnell in the real movie. They had in mind Dan Aykroyd, Frank Vichard who was played by Luke Wilson. They had in mind Alec Baldwin, which is quite a switch up. And in the script, they actually had another member of the news team in mind, whose name would would have been Marshall Connors. And for that, they had William H. Macy suggested for the part. So that (laughs) would have been really interesting. Frank Gallagher. Shout out the Gallagher's. He's incredible. So everyone knows how to spell my last name because (laughs) of some alcoholic (laughs) fictional family. Shameless. Shout out Shameless. Honestly, great comedy show too. That show's incredible. Um, but William H. Macy, I don't... At the time, I can see how he would have played in, but I also think that it was really good they kept it to four and they kept it to who it was in the movie. Yeah, I think it worked when it was tighter. I think... Yeah. I mean, again, we always say this. Th- these writers, these directors, they could have pulled it off, no doubt. But yeah. I like I like having that kind of tight crew because it also feels more like... You know, that's, that's how these kind of things work. A, a tighter exactly. crew, you have the guys interacting. Um, and with four, it seems like a more close-knit group. Yeah, with that's kind of, yeah. It's yeah. a little bit excessive where it's too many characters to develop almost. And then you would have had Veronica Corningstone, so it would have been six total. And then, you know, it would have kind of, it would have been a little bit too much to all dive into. So I'm glad they kept it high and tight. So yeah. they're always just keeping it high and tight. I just realized, I think this, this might've been in the sequel, actually. They, they say this fictional show, or maybe it isn't a fictional show and I just didn't look into it. And if that's the case, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. They say the title of something as uh, four is company, five's a crowd. I, that might've been a reference to that. Well, there's Pepe the show Sylvia. Three, there's, there's Pepe the Sylvia. There's the show three Three's a crowd. Three's company. Company. Yep. Yeah. But so I think that they made it four's company, five's a crowd. So maybe they were talking about how they were going to make it five and then they decided on four. Yeah. Pepe Sylvia. Pepe Sylvia. (laughs) (laughs) Uh I just want to throw in one little thing about our guy, John C. Riley, who we're going to talk about next week. Mm -hmm. So when they were, when they had him in mind, Will Ferrell liked him so much for this role that this is actually because he had the scheduling conflicts and wasn't in this movie, they still wanted to do something with him, like Will Ferrell wanted to do something with him. Yeah. Which is how we got our next week's movie, Talladega Nights. It's so funny that I didn't know that we were going to talk about Talladega Nights at all during the recording of this. <laughs> now, <laughs> we've we've now plugged Talladega Nights. So if you don't know what we're doing next week, by the way, yeah. guys, it's Talladega Nights. <laughs> in case you didn't know, it's it, it stars John C. Riley and Will Ferrell. You know, we'll talk about it a little next. Yeah, week. but that's that's how you make a first impression. If if yeah. you go through auditions and it just doesn't work out, and they're like, you know what, we're gonna put you as the co-star on the next one. Very that's happy awesome. that that happened though, because he is perfect in Talladega Nights. He is, yes, absolutely. We'll move on, because I don't want to say too much because we're right. talking about it. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> because yeah, because <laughs> we're talking about next week. Because <laughs> what are we doing? We're talking about next week. All right, so. 
we have these suggested characters, scripts developed. We're going forward. We're going forward. Yeah. They had to pitch this to DreamWorks like 20 times. Apparently, it was actually around 20 times before they actually decided to buy it and go forward with it. And Will Ferrell already had Old School and Elf out that proved to be not only critic or comedic successes, but box office successes too. So it's crazy that we started so out of left field and we keep going through. We have these people attached to it and then it takes 20 times. And thank God they didn't give up, by the way, because I could see some people oh, being yeah. like, ah, I guess they're just not going to pick it up and just leave it on the blacklist and just hope that something mm-hmm. happens. But I think that they just kept pitching it. I think that apparently they got denied like 10 times in one day, Will Ferrell said. Like, by that's different- rough. Yeah. Well, they, they had so much conviction that it was going to work because I, I remember reading something where it was like, nobody was really interested in making a movie about newscasters you know right it was tough to make newscasters the central subject because nobody was really interested in that per se you need really funny people to make a movie about newscasters funny exactly because i mean if i'm hearing it for the first time i'm like what do you mean you're making a movie about the news how is that going to be funny what are you going to do here but yeah. it turned out to be a masterpiece. So credit to them for getting denied 10 times uh-huh. and continuing to just shoot your shot. And speaking about quick about the, the fact that it, it shouldn't be interesting, I think that's why it works as a compilation of sketches or scenes because yeah. the storyline isn't what's really compelling, but it's the characters and how they interact in these scenes and obviously the the absolute ridiculousness of it is what makes it compelling like you have this caster fight and you know all that but that's that is a credit to their filmmaking ability to make Mm -hmm. a newscaster and make a story about a newscaster going back like a a redemption arc yeah very entertaining a movie that i'll equate this to where it's tough to make it interesting Taking a subject that you wouldn't think is necessarily interesting and making it interesting, I think the pinnacle of that is Napoleon Dynamite. I'm going to just throw it out there. Yeah. I think that that's, that's number fair. one for just doing that. It's just about something. nothing. <laughs> I mean, where is it? Like in Idaho in when nothing's going on yeah. ever? I mean, literally the most in, one of the craziest scenes was when she drops beads off at his front door and you're like, whoa, why'd she run away? I just don't know, but they somehow made it interesting and they did that here and I love it. And thank you for not giving up. Yes. Thank you for not giving up. I know. I mean, so one thing that I'll mention, so we've gotten, they never gave up and I'm really glad that they gave this up. You know who else doesn't give up? You know, who doesn't (laughs) give up? Nothing. Never give up, never give out. But the, so the title, the title, the legend of Ron Burgundy. There's speculation. I'm going to throw it out there now. It's speculative. Speculation meaning that when we research these movies, we we reference a lot of websites. And a lot of websites said that this is true. Yeah. So I pushed back on it saying, I'm not, this seems fake. Look, we're going to throw speculative above my head in flashing (laughs) lights. Speculative. Um, Sorry, Kevin, you have to do that. Speculative. (laughs) Um, Basically, there's a rumor that we believe to be true that the title anchorman, the legend of Ron Burgundy is actually stemmed from the Ron Jeremy documentary. That's titled porn star, the legend of Ron Jeremy, which would be hilarious. It's a documentary. 
It's a documentary about Ron Jeremy. Might be an interesting documentary, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it came out in 2001. And it's said to have inspired the title. Because look, it's... It makes sense. Star, I mean, it's like star, a... Yeah. Ellipsis. And then there's Anchorman. And then, you know, and then it's the legend of, and then just the name. It's yeah. the exact same formatting. I don't see how it could not have been an inspiration, even a little bit. But it's the exact same formatting. So It could be. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I am willing to accept the fact that it's extremely possible. Maybe it's even like... It's just speculation. We're speculating. Um, let's move on here quick. So yep. <laughs> we got the title. We got everything. Let's get into the movie now. So yeah. we mentioned it before. There are a lot of cameos. And aside from the obvious ones, you know, you have Ben Stiller, Luke Wilson. Vin- oh, Vince Vaughn plays a minor role. But in terms of cameos you might not have picked up on is this is actually one of Judd Apatow's only cameos in any of the movies he produces so Mm -hmm. so when paul rudd's character is doing his whole or he he put on his sex panther a lot of people start freaking out in the newsroom you have a lot of people saying things and you see judd apatow in the back and he says he's it smells like a burnt turd or something mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and in a uh, in an interview judd was saying he he's actually hates doing cameos so he was really <laughs> he was really nervous about just having this one line he actually also said that he thinks that it's more nerve-wracking having one line as opposed to two because then you have adam mckay a, had two lines i think yeah adam mckay yeah. had the two lines in um in the other guys i think is what mm-hmm. he was saying oh yeah um, dirty mike in the boys dirty mike yeah Go he check out our other guy's people, episode. <laughs> people still call him out on the street for Dirty Mike and the Boys yeah. as if that's like his one thing that he's done. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, he's directed all these movies. He's, and it's just like, a, oh, there's Dirty Mike. Yeah, decent career, not just Dirty yeah. Mike. <laughs> but so, I mean, Adam McKay actually is also in this one, but Adam McKay is known mm-hmm. to do that. He's He plays a custodian. And then mm-hmm. something that's pretty interesting is that when – Ron Burgundy meets his downfall. He's walking through the streets. And then this little girl walks up and calls him a disappointment to us all. And then the mother calls him an awful man. The little girl is Adam McKay's daughter. And the mother is Adam McKay's wife. So it's all in the family. We got an Apatow cameo. Mm -hmm. We got McKay's whole family. I don't know if it's their whole family, but it's at least two of them. Yeah. Or three of them, I guess, including McKay. We all get cameos. And obviously, well, this is so cameo heavy with just a, the star-studded cast of what you see, and especially the news fight. Oh, and Leslie Mann, who's uh, Judd Apatow's wife, was actually one of the 100 people who auditioned for Veronica Corningstone's role. So keeping it yep. all in the family, continuing that trend, it's you know, it's all it's it's a it's a nice familial effort on set. Pulling yeah. it all together. Yeah. So a little more about Apatow when we're going through and telling the story of Anchorman Ron Burgundy. There was obviously a lot of improv on set because when you have this talent, as we talked about before, you're going to have a lot of improv. So Judd Apatow actually said that there's about six versions of every single scene and that they had enough footage to make a three-hour-long director's cut of the movie. And just for reference, the, a- the actual movie came out to be an hour and a half. So that's literally double the movie. That's our Apatow sweet spot. Hour and a half, baby. 
Yeah, like there was an <laughs> entire scene. There was an entire scene with Amy Poehler as a bank robber that just got cut. Just completely yeah. cut from the movie. Amy Poehler and a few others. And then they ended yeah. up making it at least a short, I think, right? Or its own... I, it's kind of its own thing. I think on the DVD version, they included it. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure about that. Yeah, but I there know. was an entire subplot that yeah. they just had to scrap. <laughs> they just completely got rid of it. It was actually supposed to replace the entire third act, which was like the panda stuff. Yeah. They just scrapped it and went with the panda stuff. Yeah. And then, so like during these scenes with the improv and everything, obviously they have enough footage to make seven movies. But the one thing that was specifically improv or a couple of things that were improv was the Sex Panther line. 60% of the time, it works every time. Mm-hmm. So how it came about is Adam McKay and Paul Rudd were kind of kicking around like, Adam McKay was like, I want a math thing that kind of doesn't really make sense. So like, can you throw in something? And that's how it came to be the, it works 60% of the time, every time. So it just kind of came out like that from, can you say something that doesn't make sense at all that is math related? And Paul Rudd's like, I got this. Yeah, that, that's what's funny. That that shows the exact, like that shows the exact genius i i'm gonna throw that word out but yeah to make as specific a request as vague as that is i want something math related that doesn't make sense yeah and then paul rudd goes with this line it shows the the genius out of both of them he just goes all right i got you just no hesitation and the same thing happened with steve carell because they wanted him and specifically in the love scene the acapella scene in uh, Ron Burgundy's office, Adam McKay wanted Brick, who's Steve Carell, to have more lines, but there were none on the page for him. And Steve Carell, being Steve Carell, he literally was just like, all right, he'll come up with some lines. And Mm -hmm. in the scene, he came up with the, I ate a big red candle. (laughs) And the the famous, I love lamp line. Mm -hmm. So in the script, there was, you know, the kind of baseline for like the I love you stuff and everything. Like say, say uh, you love random yeah. things or yeah. Like just say, say things you're, you're looking at and say you love them. But the whole, I love lamp back and forth between Will Ferrell and Steve Carell was just improv completely off the cuff. Mm-hmm. I love lamp. I love lamp. Sure the love second. Lamp <laughs> it's so yeah, it, it, it's that's understanding your character. No doubt about yeah. that. Like it, it, that's brick to a T and, and I mean, Carell doesn't, you can't get anyone to do it better. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm glad that they, they went with him for his improv skills. So they went with Carell over Chris Parnell because Carell just impressed so much with his improv skills that they were like, we kind of yeah. have to. That's what gets you that 40 year old virgin money too, you know? Exactly. At the <laughs> office. And now you are doing whatever you want. Yeah. So there is, Definitely a lot, a lot of improv cameos. This is a little more cameo based. So this is something that I caught and I had to look up because I I was like, wait, did, did I just see that right? So mm-hmm. there's rolling credits when uh, they're going through the newscast just ended and it's when uh, Ron and Veronica are just sitting there insulting each other. And I, that's actually kind of why I want to read to read the list. I was like, I wonder if they put the, you know, maybe some people in the crew in. And then I saw John Hamm and I was like, 
wait, that that has to be like on purpose. And they also put Adam Scott. So both John Hamm and Adam Scott are in there, but it's just because they were friends of Paul Rudd. So like they, they just they went in and um, they they were just had these little cameos that if you didn't read the scroll, which I bet a lot of people didn't, you missed mm-hmm. it. I missed it the first couple times I watched this movie. Oh, I had and no idea. I, yeah. Yeah. Shout out both of them. I mean, we've talked about John Hamm a decent amount. Shout out Adam Scott. That dude yeah. is awesome. Parts, Parts and, and Rec. Yeah. Step Brothers holds it down. Even in like, I mean, a recent show, The Good Place. He's awesome. He's hilarious. Fantastic. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Glad he got a little shout out in this movie too. It's really cool. Because I mean, a name like Adam Scott... I don't think it's that common, but it could be somebody else. But when it's Adam paired Scott with John was... Hare, that feels what? pretty common. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I didn't want to say it. But yeah. I, you know. Yeah. But um, when you pair it with John Hamm, it's like there's something going on there, especially now when we, you know, more know more of who they are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, staying scene specific here, we're going to mm-hmm. go to one of the more famous scenes, and that's the jazz flute scene. By the way, Fred Armisen pronouncing jazz flute as Yaz flute in this weird accent. <laughs> it cracks me up. I um, love when he does accents so much. Yeah. Fred Armisen, speaking of SNL, goat. I love Fred Armisen. But in terms of this scene, basically, the idea actually came from Will Ferrell. So Will Ferrell was sitting down with Adam McKay and they were kind of talking about, oh, like, well, what, what should... What, what are some of these weird quirks that Ron should have? And then he lands on, well, you know, he obviously has to play jazz flute. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, of course. So jazz flute. one, yeah, jazz flute. One, Will Ferrell actually used to, well, he plays flute. He, he He's played flute at, pretty much since a child. And, but it's not him. They actually had to go to mm-hmm. three master flautists or whatever you want to call it, like jazz flute yeah. players flautists. and yeah they, and they only ended up on the third person so even like apparently the best jazz flute player didn't get it exactly right for them in terms mm-hmm. of this scene and they filmed this scene just at a chinese restaurant this you know dark restaurant in chinatown in la and the cinematographer was like no it was perfect we really just had to do like two shots because we needed one where the the flammable liquid wasn't in it and then the one where it was and it was like yeah it worked out perfectly so they took a while to get to the composition to get the music perfectly right and then while they were there i mean it was a lot of effort to to get the scene obviously but what a scene worked out incredibly well yeah shout out tino's and shout out fred armison he doesn't get talked about enough (laughs) Tino, when he goes, okay, there's a quote, and I don't know everything about it, but him having one line where it's just like he always tells Ron something, and he's like, We say this, and goes off about like coyotes and stuff. The coyote of the blood of the young. Yeah. Hilarious. Hilarious. I can't believe that that got thrown in there for one line. I'm so happy Fred Armisen's in there. He's very slept on, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you've ever seen Portlandia, or if you've never seen Portlandia and you like sketch comedy, go check it out, because that is a fantastic show that I think probably could get overlooked. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, even the first episode had me hooked. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's fantastic. All right. Let's and stay then, with the uh, scenes. Yeah. yeah. Stay with the scenes. Yeah. Let us know a little something about the okay. uh, that news. We we mentioned it like multiple times. So yeah. Okay. So the famous news brawl scene where all of the cameos come in, which is like the Ben Stiller, the Luke Wilson, the Vince Vaughn makes a reappearance. Little thing about it when you when Vince Vaughn's crew first comes in, you know, in the background of the abandoned lot, you see they they're on the Channel Nine turf. You see a little in the background, it just says Channel Nine on the wall on graffiti. So in that scene, the newsbrand man brawl is actually referencing the the scene, the opening scene in West Side Story. Maria, Maria, Maria. <laughs> just, I mean, but that's not the craziest thing about the scene. So they filmed this craziness. All in one day, there was a total of 24 people yeah. in the scene between all the news crews. They had Andy Dufresne come in, the, the actor who played Andy Dufresne. And mm-hmm. they have all these cameos. They have Ben Stiller. They have everybody. It's, they're filming in one day. It's in a, like a random lot in LA. It's an extremely hot day. They said it's over 100 degrees. And during this one day, 100 degree day they have all this fighting to choreograph and everything all these guys in full suits on top of that imagine it being 100 degrees there's two horses running around they have to corral these horses on top of that they have to (laughs) set a stuntman on fire like on a 100 degree day and they were like we kind of rushed through it but you shouldn't really be rushing when you're setting a guy on fire which (laughs) sounded kind of insane but to film all of this in one day it, it's a little bit wild to think about because there's so much going on, like even to the little point of Luke Wilson getting his arm cut off and then having Paul Rudd <laughs> get caught like it's Planet of the Apes and dragged in the net by the horses. It's really just an awesome thing to see and hear the background of it because you'd think it'd take a lot longer than that. Yeah, it, it's such a comprehensive scene. So much happens in it. So much goes on. So yeah, Luke Wilson getting his arm cut off is like one of my favorite bits in this entire movie. Oh yeah. Um, that uh, yeah, I just want to make sure we get all the cameos out. So there's Ben Stiller. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the Spanish news guy. Obviously, Luke Wilson. Tim Robbins. Um, Tim Robbins. Yeah, yeah who's the... like an Oscar-winning actor. <laughs> yeah, like a dramatic actor. Um, that makes that scene so good. It's just crazy that they they only got it in one one extremely hot day. And the the reason that it ended up working out and the reason that actually that the idea came about is because they were just talking, okay, well, obviously we have Vince Vaughn, these these people hate each other, something interesting to explore. And then Judd Apatow, our guy, just yeah. goes, Well, what if they fight? And then that's and that's it. This comes about. That's how the scene happens. Crazy. Yeah. Oh absolutely insane. Also, one little cameo. Shout out Danny Trejo. I mean Come on. <laughs> Got to shout out Danny also, Trejo. We probably won't mention him. Let's just get another cameo in there. Jack Black. Oh, that yeah. Scene, that actually is probably my favorite bit. Like, did you just throw a burrito out of your window? <laughs> he punts oh, his dog. He punts Baxter. Yeah, he just punts him off the edge. What's something you love? <laughs> yeah. So I love Will Ferrell's line in that. I mean, it's not going to be in our favorite lines, but it's mm-hmm. so crazy seeing Jack Black, how he speaks like a normal person. And then Will Ferrell to just come in and he goes, Easy, you see compadre. what just happened to me? He goes, <laughs> I did see was a terrific little spin. That's quite a raspberry. 
<laughs> that's quite a raspberry. Yeah, so funny just watching those two interact. Will Ferrell as Ron Burgundy. Jack Black is just some guy. But let's hop off our facts here. Let's move on to favorites. Give me when he's going to take the first. He's going to. Mm-hmm. He got first pick for this character. Give me your favorite character in Anchorman. I think number one. I think it's kind of the the uh, audience consensus. I don't want to jump the gun on that, but it's Brick Tanlin. Brick Tanlin. Steve is Brick Tanlin. Easy, you right? I mean, come on. That's all go. I'll say. That's all I need to say. Is I actually don't think we need movie, to say you know. anything no. about Brick. You don't. Yeah. No. I'm it's gonna. All there for you. I'll back up mine a little here. So I'm going to throw a little hot take out. And this is actually something I I enjoy that I did because my favorite character, if it's not Brick, is Ed Hargan. Mm. I agree with you. Yeah. So Fred Willard, I will tell you exactly why, because he's not going to show up in my favorite lines, but I think that he has my favorite lines. There are three lines that he says, and they're Mm -hmm. all on the phone. It's just a cut in in the middle of a conversation. So he has all these problems with his children. (laughs) So, um, you know, one of my oldest just shot an arrow into a crowd. Or he tried this thing called acid. Or youngest. He took took acid and shot an arrow into a crowd. And then he was on the phone with someone before too. And he was like, just, just let them go. We'll sort it out later. Like he has all this stuff going on. Someone in his family just kidnapped someone and held them at gunpoint or something. He's talking to him. He's like, just let them go. We'll, you know, we'll get back to him later. <laughs> there are so many great things. And he's so good with Ron, like just, just yeah. working off of each other that if for those lines alone, though, I have to give Ed Harkin, my number one character. I mean, it, it, I agree is so funny. The way Fred Willard delivers these lines. First of all, rest in peace to Fred Willard. Cause yeah. he was amazing. And I do agree with you because that was my favorite ongoing bit was him and his kids. And the one thing yeah. I was wondering is because the first phone call we hear, I actually wrote it down. And we can use this as one of my lines if you want, but I, I got to read it out because it's so incredible. Mm. It was, but you and I are mature adults. We've both seen our share of pornographic yes. materials. Oh, you never have? Of course you have, but neither have I. I was just speaking <laughs> in generalities. He goes, I'll stop by the school a little later, Sister Margaret. <laughs> Sister Margaret makes it so funny. Oh, this, his, yeah. You know what, actually? Screw, screw you, Steve Carell. I'm going Ed Harkin, number one. Over, over brick, not even a consolation. That my thought after that, and then hearing our youngest took acid, (laughs) shot a bow and arrow. He goes, Our youngest took something called acid and shot a bow and arrow into a crowd. Something about just saying and shot a bow and arrow into a crowd is so funny. Um, I will, he goes, You know how kids are, (laughs) you know how kids are. That's right, that's right. I was trying to think if you said anything else. So good, so good. Um, Let's go on to scene for scene here. We talked about it a lot. I mean, Mm -hmm. Luke Wilson gets his arm lopped off. and I should have seen that coming. We have Brick with the hand grenade yelling. He throws a trident at someone, kills him on a horse. The news fight has to be the best bit slash sketch slash scene in a 2000s comedy. I I don't think it gets any better. I'm going to take the news fight. I, I think that's a great choice. I think there's just so much going on from that scene 
that's so unexpected that I mean, Brick just shows up with a hand grenade and they're like, Where, where'd you get that hand grenade? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's some good brick, there's good brick stuff out of this. <laughs> yeah. I love when they, he's running around, like you said, with the grenade, just going, Ah, ah! in the middle. <laughs> I love it. For me, I got to go. Uh, the acapella scene where they're discussing love in the office and none of them really like <laughs> Paul Rudd's talking about how he hooked up with a girl for two hours in a bathroom and then never learned her and name. It, he goes, did he say Kmart? Yeah. In a Kmart. Yeah. That's it. And uh, <laughs> then they just break into the afternoon delight acapella, which I have to say, it's going to kind of beautiful. Baby gonna hold <laughs> <a tick. laughs> All right. You be uh falsetto. I'll be. Afternoon delight. delight. That was magical. That was it. Just your little preview. (laughs) Sorry, everyone. That that scene was amazing. That they just break into it, cut back to like just speaking, and then break into it again. Yeah. I I just loved it. No, I mean, it's that is when you think back on this movie, I think that you think of both those scenes. So, yeah, I think we got one A, one B right there. Let's go on to line for line. My favorite line is not going to be one of those that you think about. At least I don't think. Let's see. A lot of thinks in that. But mine comes from Paul Rudd, Brian Fantana. So Mm -hmm. it's when it's at the end. We see Veronica in the bear pit. They're up top in safety. And will they see the talent scout, the network talent scout. And Ron's deciding between jumping down there or just, you know, going for his career. And Brian Fantana goes, he's talking about how it's a network news scout. And he says, Ron, I know it might sound harsh, but God does not want her to live. (laughs) For some reason, that cracked me up so much. Like, it's just this whole thing about how they've never actually came around. The other three, at least. Obviously, Ron loves Veronica. But they never really truly came around and Paul Rudd's just telling him to go do the news story and let her die because God <laughs> does not want her to live. That cracks me up. That's good stuff. That's right so there. good for the network talent scout who's standing yeah. in the distance with a clipboard. <laughs> it's just so absurd for me. My one of my favorite interactions. It's a, it's a line from my favorite character break. It's just when they're walking right before the fight scene and they're like, Brick, I thought you said this was a shortcut. He goes, fantastic. <laughs> Paul Rudd goes, well, is it a shortcut or not? And he goes, okay. Okay. <laughs> that You, you got to throw those in there. You got to throw yeah. those in there as the favorite ones because that is what we think of. That's what everyone thinks of. Brick, Steve Carell's yep. lines, makes the movie. Absolutely just nothingness of his mind so yeah. good so my second one is that, that's a bear noise by the way <laughs> and that was good the, the, so the direct translation is kato jow is my cousin <laughs> it's when baxter comes back and saves the day and he's talking yep. with this bear like we knew something had to save him we didn't know what it was gonna yep. be baxter comes in you have subtitles down below they're just barking growling barking growling i met someone of your kind uh his yep. name was cat Ka- joe it's like Katow joe you, was my cousin you may pass or <laughs> you are a friend of the bears you are, yeah master. you are a friend of us 
Baxter <laughs> low key speaks like 12 different languages because he speaks Spanish. Spanish? And Will Ferrell's like, I don't speak Spanish. And then when Veronica Cornick starts speaking Spanish later, he's just like barking in the back in response. And then yep. he speaks bear. I mean, he's he's a genius, Baxter. Bilingual. Baxter. Exactly. Trilingual. And I don't even know. And he speaks dog, I guess. That's a good right? point. Quadlingual? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Quilingual? What's mul- multilingual? Multilingual. <laughs> that was dumb. We'll go with that. That we'll was dumb. Multilingual we'll is the term. Is it? Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, we'll cut this out if necessary. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't. We don't. We don't. We will not. Out. We don't cut anything By the way, out. This is that is something that if you're new with us, we don't really take anything out. So, no. Continue this is all one take. One take. One take. Fuck it. We'll do it live. Um, for me, my last one is when Ron Burgundy is play about to play the uh, the jazz the jazz flute jazz flute and the jazz flute and walks up and he's just going like you don't know what's about to happen he's like so unexpected and then he walks up and he goes keep the symbol splashy Jay let's take the baseline for a walk <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I lost it it's when, so he pulls the flute out of his yeah uh, so or his uh, sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's take the baseline for a walk okay nice <laughs> very good definitely um, yeah you have an honorable mention we need the one say. honorable mention we gotta throw out there we gotta throw it out there it's improvised they were driving around for three weeks with the phone booth dropped it off on a street corner will ferrell made his magic and in that moment he said, I am in a glass case of emotion. <laughs> <laughs> Just Which crazy that they were driving incredible. around with it for that long, too. And then, yeah. That- I know. Dropped it off and just let him do his thing. Driving around for three weeks with a phone booth, you look like a psycho. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. What are you, Doctor Who? Could be. References. But- <laughs> so many references. Look, Dude, your references British are insane. TikTok. Everyone says that about I you. I know. Everyone says that about <laughs> you, man. Shout out. This is the end, man. All right. That was Anchorman. Fantastic movie. Absolutely. One of the goats of our childhoods. Fantastic mm-hmm. story of how it got made. We hope you guys enjoyed. Be on the lookout for our YouTube video. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, with, with TikTok, with Twitter or something, you know, you might need to have the app. YouTube, you don't. So please, if you want to support us, at least go give it a view. Go, go like it. Yeah, check it out because we want to start. We want to start getting some traction here. So, oh yeah. Anything else? Anything for the people? Ah, uh, great movie, great movie, great movie. If you've not seen it, you're missing out. Good on the rewatch and too, especially good. you know if you've seen it a lot like we have. It it could be a background yeah. movie, but you're gonna enjoy it in the background exactly that's not so a diss good. to it at all obviously you no heard us no, talk no about it also kev do you know what we're doing next week just so we can oh i don't I know if we figured it out yet but we might be doing talladega nights okay. yeah really? no, i was i was okay, even gonna cool. say that too and i was like that's so annoying for people <laughs> at this point but look in the description below it will have our google forms let us know what you rated what you think about talladega nights uh just so we can talk about it we want to know what the people exactly. are thinking so what do you want to hear about Talladega Nights if you had a preference. Right. Until we're going to tell though, you stuff. I'm Kevin. I'm Winnie. We'll see you at the next episode. High and tight, baby. <laughs> <laughs>